when you will come and establish your kingdom where all can see and all oppression and all things will be made right because of your love and your mercy and your grace towards us. And so, God, we say come. Lord, and in the meantime, come in our hearts and teach us to love the mercy that you love and that we would walk in your ways, Father. Father, be with us this morning as we open your word. Give us grace to understand even the hard things and teach us to walk with you. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to Risen Life for those of you that are online and those are those of you that are here with us in the room. And good singing this morning, guys. You guys are doing well. You know, we're looking at Ecclesiastes and this whole book is about kind of examining life under the sun or what, what goes on on the earth and thinking about it without God. But when we worship, we get a little taste of life above the sun. Right? We get to see who God is and what He's doing, get a taste of who He is, and that's a better life, right? We can taste how good life is with God when we worship Him, and that's part of what we strive to do Sunday by Sunday. But this is an important book we're going through, Ecclesiastes. We're going to be looking at chapter 4 this week. It's exploring the, the meaning of life, what is meaningful in life, what should we pursue, what brings joy. And Solomon's been on this big project looking at riches and relationships and all the things that a man can do and seeing what is valuable. And by the way, Pastor Kevin said this last week, but Solomon would be shocked at the things we have at our fingertips, right? He's doing this project, but he would be shocked at what we get to do every day. And he's still going to say life is better with God than with all of the stuff that we have access to. And this book touches on so many of our own cultural questions of the day, and we're going to see some today. And in fact, this chapter, this is not the happiest chapter that Solomon has written, okay? But we got to see the problems with our world where sin takes us so that we understand what God is giving us in the gospel. And so we'll see that this morning as we look at world, the world under the sun. Now, in our culture, we've been taught to work hard, right, to work hard at getting more and more so that we can be happy, have more stuff and more opportunities, and Solomon's going to show us this is an anti-God narrative, that this doesn't actually lead to the things that we want. It actually leads to loneliness and the oppression of those around us, broken relationships, and ultimately estrangement from God. And as we hear Solomon today, he wants to teach us, you need to seek God first. And then as Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, you seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness, God will give you all the other stuff. And it's been true in my life as I have pursued God. So this morning we're going to look at three things that Solomon sees under the sun and then he's going to give us a little parable about a king to say, there's a better way than all of this stuff. And so let's look at the first thing that Solomon sees under the sun. We're going to spend a, a fair amount of our time here on this one this morning. And this is what he sees. First he sees the hopelessness, the seeming hopelessness of oppression and injustice that he sees in our world. Okay, Look at verse 1. It says, Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, 
and behold the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought, you know, the dead who are already dead are more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better both than he is the one who has not yet been born and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. That's a depressing passage, right? Here Solomon is lamenting the injustice and the oppression that we see in our world, and I think we can join him in that lament, right? It's, it's bad out there. In Ecclesiastes 3.16, he's already mentioned that under the sun he saw in the place of righteousness, wickedness, in the place of justice there was wickedness, and here he is moved to compassion by the tears of those that are oppressed. He sees their tears streaming down their cheeks and is upset that it seems that there is no one to comfort them. In fact, he says, if this is the way life's going to be, so much suffering in the world, it's better off for us to be dead and to avoid it all. And better yet, to never even been born and experience it. Ever feel this way about life? Better to be dead than alive? Common feeling in our world today, common feeling about suffering. We hear these verses and you can taste the hopeless attitude that many taste as they stare suicide in the face. We become hopeless and death looks pretty good. We want an escape from all the problems of the world. This is life under the sun. <laughs> this is a life without what God, without God. This is what it feels like. It's hopeless. And it leads ultimately to death. We can look around the landscape of our world like Solomon and see all the terrible things that are going on today. People being treated unfairly, taken advantage of. You can think about those in Ukraine that had this war pushed on them and their lives have been destroyed. Their houses, their families, their fathers being sent to be killed. Those in Sudan over the last couple weeks with these two warlords that are fighting each other and they have no food and no safe place to be and their country is being torn apart. Think about young women in the world that are being sold in the sex trade industry by their families or being abducted, being taken advantage of and they have no one to comfort them. Turn to drugs cry themselves to sleep. We can say with Solomon, is there any hope? Is there any comforter? Children in Africa mining precious metals so that we can have lots of batteries for our toys. Meanwhile, their help goes away. Who will comfort their tears? The list goes on. It's a depressing world when we look at all the oppression going on. If you've traveled anywhere in the world like I have and I've been to some of these places and you just see the little kids that are filthy and they're trying to sell you a little stick of gum so that maybe they can eat tomorrow, it brings tears to your eyes. We're going to go to Guatemala later this year. We're going to take some of our high schoolers in June and they're going to get to experience some of this. Right? We want, we want them to see this is, this is the world. This is a world that needs 
Jesus. We know that injustice and oppression has been a hot topic even in our own country the last 10 years, talking about racial injustice, religious injustice, wages, politics, free speech, all of it, right? We see it. And can we just say for one second, the injustice in our country is like a picnic compared to the rest of the world. (laughs) Let's not get too overly excited about what goes on in our country. We feel and see what Solomon is describing here. We have a whole generation of young people that sit over here and they feel this deeply. They see it and they feel it. Listen, young people, God hears what you're saying. He's addressing it right here. He gets you. And I want you to see that here, this wisdom from under the sun actually has a very modern ring to it. Bear with me here as we think about this for a second. There are those with power that take advantage of those that don't have power. They oppress them for their own gain and it seems like there's no comfort. Does that sound like anybody you've heard before? You know, Karl Marx would say this in the late 19th century. His whole thing was about these class struggles, those with power and those with not, the haves and the have-nots. And the only way out would be for the have-nots to gain together and take over the haves. And hopefully those guys one day would be benevolent to everybody. (laughs) Not going to happen. Right? And Nietzsche would take this further, saying if it's all about power and there's no God, then you ought to get as much power as you can and do whatever you want. Get it all for yourself. Ecclesiastes, Marx Marx would tell us that really it's the lust for material well-being that has driven all of history, right? Now, don't you see, that's actually what Solomon says here in verse 4, Ecclesiastes 1.4, then I saw that all toil and all skill and work came from a man's envy of his neighbor, the desire to get ahead, make a profit so that I will step on those around me. And I bring up these guys because I want you to see that almost 3,000 years before these philosophers, Solomon saw the same thing going on under the sun. That's why it can say in Ecclesiastes 1.9, there is nothing new under the sun. Keep our eyes down under the sun and life without God is surely depressing. What these philosophers didn't do was to look up and see that there is a God above the sun. Listen, I've seen far too many Christians keep their eyes on what's going around, focus on the impression and injustice all around them, and miss actually what God wants to teach us through that and what God is actually doing in the world. He wants us to look up to Him. And many other Christians get caught up in modern philosophies, postmodern thinkers, And actually, they're not saying anything new, just expanding things that God has already told us about 3,000 years ago. God has given us the answers to these philosophies a long time ago, and we need to look up and hear what he has to say. So what do we do when we see all this oppression around us? I want to give us a few things. First one is this. Realize that the oppression we see, the injustices, the suffering that we see, This is a result 
of our collective sin. Okay, this is, this is the Bible's starting point for understanding injustice and oppression around us. It helps us realize the depth of our sin nature. As Romans 1, 18 through 25 tells us that as mankind, when we rejected God in the garden, that God actually then gave us over to every lust of our heart, every desire, and said, have at it. <laughs> and the injustice and oppression you see around you is actually the result of our sins and your sins and our hearts combined together, multiplied by a billion people strong over a thousand years, and you get what you see, a life without God, a world without God. I want you to see this. God actually gave us exactly what we asked of Him. He gave us a life without Him. We, we often say, well, how come God can't step in and stop the oppression? Oh, He can, but He gave you what we asked for, a life without Him. And yet we know that God, like a good parent, uses the pain of our situation and the consequences of sin to cause us to call out to Him for help. And there is a world crying out to God for help. Last week we learned that God is sovereign over all that happens and He uses it all for our good as believers and for His glory. And so the pathway to begin ending injustice and oppression in our world starts with us, each one of us in our hearts, turning our eyes towards God and beginning to give our lives to Him. See, to get out of our sin quagmire, we need real life transformation. We need our hearts transformed. It's not going to get better until God does something in each one of us. This is the greatest need of humanity, a transformed heart. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27 points this out to us, what this looks like. As Ezekiel's looking forward to the new covenant, it says, God is going to come by His Spirit, and for those that He is pulling out of the world into salvation, He will take their hard hearts out of their chests, and He'll give them a live, beating heart that beats for God's things and is empowered to do the right things. And so if we want to fight injustice and oppression, it starts with our hearts being given to Jesus in the kingdom of God as the solution. This is our greatest need as humanity. And the second thing we need to realize about oppression in our world, that those that are oppressed, despite what it looks like in our under-the-sun thinking, God hears the poor and the oppressed. He hears them. In fact, He's called the great comforter. Listen to some of these verses. Psalm 9, 18, For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Because God is looking out, right? 2 Corinthians 1.3, Paul calls God the God of all comfort. Psalm 34.18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 35.10, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him? And so while life under the sun can look hopeless, and it can look hopeless 
in the world and all those that are suffering, the Bible tells us over and over again, there is a comforter out there who loves you and who wants to show you mercy and he is very near to those that are broken. This is good news. And if we will choose to walk with God, there is always hope. God can see you through whatever you're facing and actually use it for your good (laughs) and His glory. And we can think of the saints throughout the ages that have faced horrible situations and circumstances, many of them ultimately ending in death, and yet they would all witness to the fact that God was right there with them, bringing them comfort and hope through the whole thing, and now they stand in His presence, receiving comfort. In fact, God, the great comforter, also promises that all these injustices and impressions we see, that He will one day make them all right. He will correct every single one of them. In fact, that's how uh, Solomon will end his book, Ecclesiastes 12, 14. He says, look, God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. He's keeping track of what's going on in each one of these situations, and he will ultimately make them right. And we can take comfort that God will correct all oppression and injustice. And in the meantime, we can walk in hope to look above the sun, take our eyes off these circumstances down here, look at God, and as we draw near to Him, He says He will draw near to us. We should pray for those that are facing oppression, that God will show Himself to be the great comforter. And if you're here this morning and you're facing things in your life that you don't know what to do with, you go, there's no hope. In fact, death is beginning to look better. Again, the Bible says there is a God who loves you and can take care of you. There is hope in the gospel. There is a Savior who loves you and wants to walk with you. In fact, as we know, because God heard our cries for help throughout the Bible, God sent His Son for us. See this, Jesus entered into the oppression of our world because he didn't want to leave us there. This is good news. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, You know the the grace of our Lord Jesus that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. God of the universe, everything at his disposal in perfect relationship with the Father and the Spirit needed nothing saw our oppression and stepped out of heaven so that he could love and take care of us. That's a good God. And look at what Jesus says to us about his mission. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, giving us the words of the coming Christ. Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And opening the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Jesus came to set us free. In fact, as we look around at the oppression around us, God wants to show us this is what sin does to you. Keeps you imprisoned, keeps you oppressed, and the answer has come in Jesus. 
who has paid for our sins and for all those that follow him. We can be forgiven and he gives us the spirit that sets us free from all of our sin that binds us so that we can walk in freedom in life and have a hope of a future with God. Jesus came in to step into our brokenness and bondage and set us free. So don't despair at what you see. Rather, cry out to Jesus. In fact, Matthew 5, 3 and 4, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Those that are downtrodden, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And that comfort comes to us through Christ. There is hope. And once we have experienced real life transformation through the rescuing of Christ, God then calls us to step out in the gospel, to step out of our circumstances into brokenness and be those that would comfort others with the gospel and with deeds. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7, I love this. It says, because you have been comforted by Christ in the gospel, so then you are now to go and comfort others who are suffering. Listen, our suffering then is no longer hopeless. In fact, here even Paul is saying, whatever you suffer and Jesus saves you out of, God will then use you to go to those same people that are like you and speak words of comfort and hope that can be found in Him. And I've seen those that have been struggling with substance abuse find freedom in Christ, then go and help those that are currently struggling. Those that have found had great abuse in their life, sexual and physical abuse, that find healing in God, then go and give comforting words of the gospel in healing to others that are being abused. Those that have faced the darkness of suicide, just wanting to escape this life, even like Solomon talked about, have found hope in the gospel, that life is worth living with God, and have been able to speak into others' lives about the goodness of life with Jesus. Listen, don't discount your suffering. God will use it for good. God has said He will take the lives of believers and their suffering, and He will use it for the gospel. There's hope. There's a reason for you to continue walking with Him. But I also think this, that God calls us as believers, once we have received the comfort from Him, not to just believe this and be excited about it, but then to go and serve the poor and the oppressed. <laughs> In fact, James 1.27, we know this verse, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Listen, there is an important social component to our faith. We've been debating this for a lot, right, in recent years in our culture and in faith, that we can believe the gospel with our heart and minds, right, that's belief, but faith is then actually beginning to live our life out on what we believe in serving the poor and the oppressed has always been part of the Christian confession. That that because we believe who Jesus is, because we've received comfort from Him, that we would then go and comfort others. This is huge. And I want to call us as a church into caring for the poor and the oppressed in greater ways. 
Listen, we're an affluent, east side, middle class church. <laughs> Life is pretty easy anywhere surrounding this church. Okay? We have enough time, enough skills, enough resources to care for those in our city and around the world. And this is a generous church. You guys give much of your income towards the upbuilding of the church and sending people out on mission, but you can do more. God has blessed you. And I want to challenge each one of us. Each one of us should have a a ministry or a cause both individually and as a church that we want to pour into to care for people that need care. I can think of like the Pregnancy Resource Center here in Salt Lake City that cares for unwed mothers or those that have been told to get an abortion that says, no, we'll walk with you and we'll see you through to have that baby and we'll care for you. We need some of you to help with that. What's God calling you to help with? I can think of the homeless shelters. Our youth group goes down there some. Some of our community groups do. These are the down and out of our city. They don't smell that great. (laughs) They're not very kind, right? They may not be in their right mind, but God says you love those people. And some of us need to be called to go and love those people because God loved us when we were unlovable. I can think about places in the world where I've had the opportunity to help drill water wells where there was no clean water. Some of us need to be excited about that. How can we help bring clean water to the world where people get dysentery and other things that they, they can't even have clean water? You can help bring them clean water. Others of you are good at business and other things, and there's, there's people around the world that are helping to start businesses that really change communities and bring well-being. What is God calling you to do? All of us have something not enough just to be comfortable. Our life should show the gospel that we have received in our heart. And part of that is caring for the needy and being comforters to those that seemingly have no comforter because it's through you (laughs) that God brings his comfort. But we get caught up in the rat race of trying to get ahead and we can lose our way, right? But God didn't give us our talents and resources just to spend on ourselves. They're to be used for other people in service of the gospel. That brings us to the second thing that Solomon sees here. Look down here at verse 4. Solomon looks around and he says, I think I see the selfish root of all of our crazy striving. As he opens up this section, he's going to give us a couple wisdom sayings on work will show us again a a work life that is self-focused and only striving to get ahead, right? It's it's meaningless, he's going to say. Ultimately lead to our loneliness and the oppression of others as we were just talking about. Here's what verse 4 says. Solomon says, Then I, I saw that all the toil and all the skill and work came from a man's envy of his neighbor. <laughs> this also is a vanity and a striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. Listen, what he's telling us here is if if you're working just to serve you, (laughs) that's a really sad business. 
Okay. Again, in Ecclesiastes 1.4, Solomon tells us that he sees that most people's drive to work comes out of envy for his neighbor. It's kind of like Exodus 20.17 where it says, Thou shalt not covet, right? You shouldn't, shouldn't just want what other people have. You should be content in God. Look to the things He provides. But we want all the comfort. We want the food that we see our friends eating. We want the wife or the, the husband that we see that they have. We want the stuff, we want the new bicycle, the new truck, the bigger house, because we see what they have. And so we set ourselves to work harder and harder, to get more and more, and there's no end to it. Classic John D. Rockefeller said, one of the richest men in all of history, somebody asked him how much is enough, and he said, well, just one more dollar, right? There's no ending. When we do that, we begin to use people around us for our own things. And the pleasures of life become our idols. And we become lonely and estranged from God. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4, he says, Look, in the last days, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, and many other things, lovers of pleasures, but they will not be lovers of God. Sound like our world? <laughs> Above the sun, thinking considers others and not just ourselves. It has a bigger purpose in working than just getting more stuff. And I want to encourage you. I want you to look for work that is good for our city, good for our world. Find work that can serve greater purposes, what God has called you to be in Christ taking care of your family, helping the poor and oppressed, supporting missions, right? These are all things that can be done through our work if we give our work to God. And then Solomon tells us about the balance of work. Ecclesiastes 1.5, he says, look, on the one side, the fool doesn't work, and actually when he does that, he's just consuming himself. One day there'll be nothing left. <laughs> the Bible constantly points to the fact that we ought to work. And work hard. Second Thessalonians 3.10, Paul says, if for those who are not willing to work, don't let them eat. <laughs> so it's not about not working. And in fact, you know, there's a worker shortage in our country, and this is good for you guys, for you young folks out there. Listen, there's no easier time in life to get a job and be really amazing at your job. If you'll just show up, people will love you. <laughs> you can prosper in your work. And that's a godly thing to do. Ecclesiastes 1.6b tells us on the other side that a man can throw himself at work with both hands, and that's not very good either because he misses some things. In fact, I was camping with a friend last weekend, and we were talking about this very nebulous goal of career advancement. Well, I'm just working on my career advancement. Well, what the heck does that mean, Right? Why, why do you have this insatiable desire to advance, to make more money, to, to, to seek more pleasure? Why are we doing it? <laughs> I'd say a lot of us don't even know, right? We've been given this by the world. And so I'd ask you, why do you want more? This is what Solomon is asking us. It's just a troubling business. Why do you want to advance? Why do you want more? Why not make time for things that matter? 
In fact, he's saying this here in Ecclesiastes 1, 6a. There's a better way to go about work, okay? There's something right in the middle here of not working and working too much, that actually if you have a handful of quietness, and then the other hand is assumed to be full of work, that there can be a balance in our life. That there is a righteous way to pursue work that provides for our needs and even our desires, but it doesn't leave the important things of life out like God and His purposes for us. I was counseling someone earlier this year about some opportunities, some big opportunities they had at work, and I said, well, is God calling you to do that? How's this going to affect your family? How's this going to affect your commitments at church? Right? Do Do you need this promotion? Or can you serve God better being right where you're at? These are questions we need to ask ourselves. Even in my own life, Amy and I have worked really hard to have a balanced work life. And in fact, we've always said, I'll choose what God is calling me to over whatever advancement or success or money I could get at work. As we have made that a priority, right? It's led to her being at home with our kids, even though we could have made more money. It's led to us choosing careers in ministry that don't always pay that well. But guess what? God's added everything we've ever needed. And so Solomon is advocating for us, turn your eyes, get your eyes off the ground, look above the sun, there's a better way to work that isn't all the toil and the craziness that we have, that is balanced and walks with God and works at bigger purposes. So church, let's do a little evaluation of our work lives this week. Why are you striving? Is it because God has put you in this place so that you would glorify Him and advance His kingdom? Or have you made it about yourself? Third thing Solomon sees here is a contrast between the loneliness of self and the goodness of community. This is, this is great. Look at this. Verse 7, it says, Again, I, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there's no end to all his toil. <laughs> his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? <laughs> this also is a vanity and an unhappy business. And he goes on in verse 9 to contrast that. He says, but look at two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm But how can one keep warm alone? And all the single people said, Amen. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Look at this. When we work to serve ourselves and the idols of our hearts, if you draw the line out, do this equation, we find ourselves alone and unhappy oppressing others, and estranged from God. Okay? This is what Solomon is describing for us. He's seen this man who, who's, who's working for himself. He's always working. He has all the stuff, and he never stops for one second to think, why am I doing this? And he says he's unhappy. I used to know someone like that at work in my construction career. 
guy of a couple houses around the country, had a really nice sailboat, probably worth as much as my house on a really nice lake in the northeast, had plenty of money, but he worked all the time, never saw his kids, barely ever saw his wife, right? What good is that? No relationships. If he stopped for a moment, he would feel hopelessly lonely and probably did at night. We know that the modern life has made most of us feel hopelessly lonely. And we can think that death is a better answer. In fact, I was reading this week, I don't know if you saw this, there's an article that came out from the Surgeon General, uh, Vivek Murthy, who wants to tackle our epidemic of loneliness. Now, this is, this is interesting, right? That you go, well, this isn't a disease, but he says it leads to all sorts of other diseases. He wants to take it on. He says, look, more than 50% of us, let's just draw the room in half, are experiencing profound loneliness. It's leading to all sorts of things. And as we know, particularly our teenage girls are facing untold levels of loneliness and depression Pressure to look and act a certain way and increasing sexual violence against them. This is a life where we strive for ourselves. This is what this gets us, okay? This is the world that this gets us. In church, we need to care for and protect our youth, our young ladies, our, our mothers, our child, our children. Men, we need to step up and protect the women of this church family and your family. And women, we need some of you to invest in the lives of these young ladies. Josh and Max are asking me every week, I need some women volunteers. I need women that can speak into the lives of these young ladies. Will that be you? <laughs> we need you. We have a profound problem of loneliness. And when you're all out there, all alone, Satan has you exactly where he wants you. Because then he can start writing a narrative about how you got there and lead you into all sorts of sins to try to fix it, to fall into bondage, and it will ultimately lead you to death. Now, the interesting thing is the Surgeon General said the answer to this is social connection. Well, no kidding, right? I didn't have to have a PhD to figure that one out. He says we need a movement to mend the social fabric of our nation to cultivate, listen to this, kindness, respect, service, commitment to one another, regularly practicing gratitude, minimizing the use of technology, and all the kids hate that one, and engaging in constructive conflict resolution. What does that sound like? Fun. Sounds like the gospel, right? But here's the thing, you can't do that without the Spirit of God in your heart. Try as you might, you can't do it without a heart change. Can't display the fruits of the Spirit without the Spirit, right? And so Solomon here then begins to advocate for a better way. Look at verse 4-9 again. He says that in work, two are better than one. In fact, they have a good reward for their toil. Have you ever had a great partner at work? Man, it's a fun thing. Now, it can be a terrible thing at times, but it's a fun thing. Right? You work together, you get to experience the, the hardships and the joys together, and usually what you produce is better. Right? 
4.10, he says, look, if one falls and there's someone to pick him up, you ever had a partner at work that said, all right, come on, let's keep going, right? Community is better. In fact, 4.12, it says, one man can easily be defeated, but two can stand, and three really can stand. Try to take down three guys as one guy, ain't going to happen, right? Solomon is telling us that as humans, we are built for community, and life is lived better together. Listen, this is a gospel principle, and it goes against all that we know in our world. Striving for our selfish interests, it's a terrible way to live, and it's going to leave you lonely and looking for death, what he's telling us. In fact, think about this. Our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, has always been in the perfect relationship. You can guarantee they had fun creating the world together. They have fun working out salvation together. The Father willed it, the Son accomplished it, and the Spirit gave it power. They enjoyed it. And He wants to include you in that relationship. When you come to Christ, there's no more loneliness. You're in relationship with the God of the universe. He is near to the brokenhearted. He is with you. And he puts you in a community called church where you can walk with people that will strive with you and hold you up. This is one of the reasons that we've also always advocated for team ministry here at Risen Life Church. Listen, the single pastor out there he gets killed. There's 300 and something of you, and if it's just me, you're going to kill me. <laughs> when I partner with somebody like Pastor Kevin, and then even our wider eldership team of six guys, come on, see what you can do now, right? It's better in partnership. This is why Paul told Titus, Titus 1.5, appoint in every town elders for the churches, because it's meant to be done in community, just like the Father, God, lives in community with the Son. And it's better that way. And because of our loneliness, I want to say that the church community has never been more important. You can't afford not to be here every week to meet with these people. Even if you don't like some of them, that's okay. Because God wants you to experience His very real presence through another believer so that you will feel comforted and know that He is with you and be encouraged to do what God has called us to do, to continue in the faith, to do the good deeds in the world that need to be done, to persevere so that one day we'll be with Him. You need this community. And every week it helps us take our eyes off ourselves. And off the things under the sun and turn them above the sun and look at God and what he's doing. Hebrews 10 is a classic passage that I just love. We need this deep in our hearts, 10, 23 through 25. It says, look, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. means believe the gospel. Just keep believing it, right? For he who promised is faithful. God will do what he said. And then he says, and let us... Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's what we're doing right now. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. I was talking with a pastor just the other day, and he was saying to us, 
you know, in COVID, we, we kind of have these levels. You got your creasters that come on Christmas and Easter. You got your attenders that come once a month, three times a month, two times a month, every, every week. And in COVID, you know what we all did? Kind of just shifted down one. And people on the far end just dropped off. And guess what? They feel estranged from God and lonely. You know why? Because they forsake his people. And so I want to encourage you. You want to feel the comfort of God? You want to feel that He's close? Then get where His Spirit dwells. And you'll feel Him very near to you. You need the body of Christ. I can remember my first year of college that after a hard kind of first semester, I thought I'd leave the University of Utah because I had no friends. And then I began to get involved with a Christian ministry. And those people became my best friends. Some of them still go to this church today 20-something years later. They kept me in the faith, and they kept me near God. Now, Solomon's going to finish this chapter with a call towards a better way in Ecclesiastes 4, 13 through 16. And he's going to tell us that life with wisdom is better than life without wisdom. The better life begins with following God. That's wisdom. He's going to contrast a poor wise boy with an old foolish king, that this king got all that he wanted, all the wealth, all the stuff, all the power, but Solomon tells us life as the poor wise boy would have actually been better. Okay? Here's what he says, Ecclesiastes 4.13, Better was the poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Okay? And then he goes on to tell us more what happened to this king, uh, that he will reign and then another young man will actually come and take his place. And then when he has arrived, that young man will find out that ruling people is not all it's cracked up to be. He won't really like it, and he will be forgotten. Look at what it says, verse 14. For when he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor, he saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with the youth who was to stand in the king's place. And there was no end to all the people of all whom he led, Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is a vanity and a striving after the wind. Here's what I think Solomon's telling us. We can think of our pop star culture of American Idol. and We all want to be the top dog with all the stuff and all the power and get it all for ourselves. And he says, you know what? This young man did that and he saw this is no good. <laughs> I'm by myself. The riches don't satisfy and all this kingdom of people could care less for me. He says he would have been better off had he just stayed a poor boy with wisdom. And Banjin, come on up. And this is the wisdom that Solomon advocates for throughout Ecclesiastes and throughout all of Proverbs. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. In other words, stop looking under the sun and look up to the one who is above the sun. And if you keep doing that, you keep your eyes on God and you keep your eyes on his son Christ, then you will know how to live better than anybody on this earth. And the riches and the kingdom and the power, none of that will matter because you know true wisdom and have found true life. And so we can look around the world and we can see a lot of brokenness. It can be quite depressing, right, as we've said. 
maybe even make us hopeless, where death looks better than life. This, but this is under the sun thinking. Above the sun, we have a great comforter, God, who loves us, has sent His Son so that we can know Him, entered into our brokenness so that He can lift us out. He loves us. He wants to show us mercy. There is hope and comfort found in Him. So the question for us is, what are you going to give your life to? (laughs) Is it going to be a pursuit of all the stuff? Solomon says, that's worthless. Furthermore, it leads to the oppression and loneliness of others. Or we give your life to things that matter. A life lived with God. A life that begins with making Jesus your Lord and then asking, Lord, what's next? (laughs) Where do we go from here? Maybe you need to let go of some of the pursuits you've had over the last couple of years. It brought you nothing but pain, trouble, loneliness, hurt other people. Maybe you need to find a hand of quietness. Put some things down so that you can find God. Maybe God's calling you to serve others, to live out the gospel in tangible ways. Who's He calling you to serve in this city and around the world? Let's get out from under the sun and look up to God. Let's run life with Him, experience His love towards us, and then let's take it to other people. Father, thank You for this morning. Thank You for Your gospel that teaches us what true wisdom is, that You are the fount of life. Lord, forgive us where we have forsaken You for other things. Help us to run and look to You and say, what's next, Father? Prioritize Your kingdom and may You take care of the rest. Father, make us people that will go to this world that is oppressed and needs you. Help us to be us to be the very hands and feet of Jesus that bring hope and comfort. And for those that don't know you, I pray this morning you'd move them by your spirit to confess you as Lord and find hope and comfort for the first time. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.